The liturgy is in fact the first teacher of catechism. Being more is not just what we get to define, it's how God calls us to himself. He is the more. To do a little mystagogical catechesis. Mystagogical catechesis. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. <laughs> is that a little too hot? Sorry. Be more. That makes sense. Be more. Yes! Welcome to Mysticat. This is Father Andrew Strummel. Whoa, and this is Curtis Ketty. A little behind the scenes uh, Mysticat stuff for you. Um, we recorded a very long episode. Um, the introduction alone was about a half hour. And so we decided to take that introduction and make it a whole episode, which is what came out last time. And now. Um, we are going to get into the actual part of the recording where we talk about the Eucharistic prayer. So, any any final words, Father, before we dive into that that great recording? No, I feel like if I said anything else, we might go another half hour. Yeah, we are always on dangerous grounds when we begin these episodes. So, enjoy. See you at the end. All right, so what's going on? Like, what are we talking about? Okay, so we're in the middle of the Mass... Yeah, uh, Wait, it's, not, it's like we're there on the person that came into the movie in the middle and are like, what is happening? Who Who is that guy on fire now? What happened? Every episode is like that. Okay, so <laughs> we're in the middle, not only of the Mass, but in the high point of the Mass, in the Eucharistic yeah. prayer. And last time we were talking about the words of consecration and just, you know, unpacking that incredible miracle. And now um, our Lord is now on the altar um, under the species of of bread and wine. It looks like bread and wine, but it's actually yeah. no longer bread and wine. It is the body, blood, yeah. soul, and divinity of Christ on the altar. And that has happened. And now the Eucharistic prayer is going to sort of start to wrap up. And, and you know, what do we do? Now that the, our Lord is there, what are we going to do next? And it's really... It's quite stunning when you th- we're we're used to it, and as a as someone who's gone to mass a bunch of times now, <laughs> I've gone to mass a bunch of times now. Like there, there's this there's this element where it's like this incredible moment, the bells have rung and all the stuff, and now you're like, all right, all right, all right, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. I want to receive, I want to receive, and yeah. w- sometimes you can tune out during the 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 final part of the Eucharistic prayer. It's sometimes the longer part where all of the, uh, the priest is just rattling off all of these words and phrases, saint names and, you know, lots of stuff. So let's let's break down yeah. the final part of Eucharistic prayer. Before we do, though, in the germ, in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, they separate the, the Eucharistic prayer into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight parts. And we have Whoa. talked about the thanksgiving uh-huh. and then the acclamation, that's the holy, uh-huh. holy, holy. Then the epiclesis, where the Holy Spirit is called down like the dewfall. And then the institution narrative and consecration, which we talked about last time. And now we're going to deal in quick succession with the last four parts. The amnesis, where we're bringing something into the present, that memorial. The offering, we're offering something. The intercession, we're asking for it, an inter- like we're interceding for something. And then the final doxology or glorification or praise. 
So amnesis, offering, intercessions, and final doxology. Those are the last four parts. We're going to talk about all of them right now. So um, woo! I think the best thing to do, we're in Eucharistic prayer too. That's what we've been really reflecting on, although all the Eucharistic prayers have these eight parts. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and just read. Yes. And you stop me when something strikes you. Okay. Okay, so we just did the mystery of faith. Mysterium fide. You know, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Okay. Then the priest, with hands extended, says, Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection. Yeah. Stop. That's the (laughs) amnesis. That's that's it. Eucharistic prayer 2 is so fast. That's the amnesis. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, how is that an amnesis? Ooh. Anamnesis is a remembering that's actually a participation in the memory. It's unlike any other type of mem- uh, remembering. Like, if you remember, you know, your favorite birthday party, like my favorite birthday party was um, playing a little miniature war game on a ping pong table at my grandma's house. But the one before that was a He-Man wow. birthday cake. Yeah. Where He-Man was on Battle Cat on top of my cake. Um, now, I can think about those wonderful birthday parties, but I'm not actually like tasting the cake, seeing the scene, except for, you know, a kind of a cloudy memory. No, an anamnesis is a participation in what we're remembering, just like the Passover meal was for the Jewish people. You actually are at at the night that is unlike any other night. You are actually participating in the salvation of God's people from slavery. So when we say we remember uh, the, the memorial or in the second Eucharistic prayer, the memorial of his death and resurrection, we are actually at the crucifixion. We are at the empty tomb when we are now before our Lord in the Eucharist. So it's like an eternal moment, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's going beyond yep. um, just the present, but we're the, it's coming, the present is coming into contact with eternity. Yeah. Well, what and about this... the word, what about the word celebrate? What, what does it mean to celebrate a memorial? Yeah, d- well, think <laughs> that's a great question. So when we think of celebration, you know, we have that in a secular context. It seems like we're making up celebrations all the time. We got new little holidays or new little think corporate uh, celebrations. But why is that such a draw for people? Because we want to mark what's important, what matters. Like the whole sense of having feast days, celebrations, um, is to mark as a culture, as a people, something in common that we hold important. Now, the most important gift we have is Jesus Christ himself. And so when we remember the Paschal mystery, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord, of course, this is worthy of celebration. But what are, what are you thinking of with celebration? Well, do you want me, are you ready for me to blow your mind? Yeah, I think you are, dang it. Every time, folks. Every time. Sorry. Well, no, this is interesting. Celebrate comes from the Latin celebratus, Mm -hmm. which originated in the Mass. It's a word that originated in the Mass, and its etymology, (gasps) the history of the word celebrate is actually unknown. It is... It, it comes originally from the mass, from this moment, from the idea of we are going to perform publicly and keep solemn this rite, this uh, like this this thing that we're going to do that Christ commanded us to do. It is a word that originates in the mass, celebratus, and is translated celebrate because we actually don't have a history for this word beyond this. It's been lost. Oh, 
So you're telling me that all these other celebrations are just an echo of the actual celebration, which is the mass. That's right. It's just okay, like- so this is interesting because, uh, I mean, I'm kind of like selfish, of course, I think as a priest first, because I am. But, you know, what you call the priest at mass is a point of contention, right? Celebrant. You call him the presider. You call him the celebrant, right? Because, you know, I mean, both both are appropriate. But, I, I you know, for whatever reason, I never said celebrant as much. One, is more, impor- one is more important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one is way more important. There's several things that just come from the mass originally, like MC. Like if you're an MC at a wedding or an MC at the Oscars. Which stands for MC, what? master of ceremonies, which are originates once again in Catholic liturgy and it's been co-opted by the culture. So, uh, you know, we need to know our history and yeah, so the word celebrate is actually a little bit more mysterious than we think because I've heard people say, why is the mass so um, solemn and sad? Aren't we supposed to be celebrating? And then on the other side, we have, why do we say celebrate the death of Christ? That seems like sort of counterintuitive. We should be mourning, not celebrating, but they've, they're taking the definition of celebration as as it has been co-opted by the culture. That's right. And that's why that's why not okay. what it originally meant. I'm gonna yeah. make a little confession. That's why I think we've talked about this before. That's why I've always been uncomfortable with the reference to a funeral as a celebration of life. Ooh. Because I think that's in modern in the modern hearing of that, that's like not that's like celebrating the person's life like in the sense of like you know we of course naturally we miss someone who has died we are, we mourn for them and we are thankful for their life here on earth however like an actual understanding of celebration of life i think could be turned on its head because it's actually the celebration of the life of christ in that person and in that sense the mass itself is a celebration of the life of christ but in the proper only understood through the liturgy sense of celebration Right, I would, I would, yeah. At distinction, there we don't just celebrate the life; we celebrate the memorial. Mm, yes, we celebrate the representation. We are publicly engaged in a ritual, a rite, which brings into the present, in this mysterious and miraculous way, this eternal moment of what Christ did, what God, what God has done for us by becoming one of us. So um, the celebrate is is con- connected to the ritual. We celebrate the ritual, which does the thing. So um, I would just add that distinction. But no, yeah, celebrate is not just like, you know, whee, with like well, the right. noisemakers. So, and- yeah, exactly. So we like our type of celebration, that's where you actually can call it like outside of mass. Like it's like, oh, well. You know, that's nice, but like really there there is a distinction between the sacred and the profane, right? Yeah, like, celebrate is to perform a sacred rite. That was publicly perform a sacred rite. That's what celebrate means mm-hmm. originally. I mean, it's from the mass. We are performing publicly together a sacred ritual that brings to the present what the, the Paschal mystery. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's the wow. amnesis. Wow. And that's, I mean, blink and you'll miss it in Eucharistic prayer too. Um, so let's continue. Okay. To the offering. Offering. Now we're, well, we're already, hey, already part six. Just look at the next couple lines. So, therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. 
Oh, that line always gets me, be in your presence and minister to you. That you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. What are you, what, what are you hearing in these words? Well, I mean, of course, we go first to that question, am I worthy? No, like not, not based on our own merit, but based on the election of Christ, that he has chosen us. That's what makes us worthy, that he loves us. Um, when I hear these words that we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, think about, I mean, this is, this is repeated in so many ways in the liturgy. We give to God, we offer to God what he already gave to us. And that's been the case in every offering that has ever been made in the history of the world. Anytime we've ever offered anything to God, he's already given it to us first. Sure. It's just like giving it back to him. And we've talked about this too, you know, like as a father, you know, if with your little kids, right? Like even if they offer you something, uh, you know, it's like, well, you really provided them everything. <laughs> I mean, God, God ultimately did, but you know, you're his agent. So, I mean, it's so beautiful to think though, that our Lord, he makes us, he makes us worthy in the sense that he gives us the opportunity to offer back to himself himself. And in that sense, like that's how we we are united with him as one, because that's the action of the Paschal mystery, right? God offering himself to himself, like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these descriptives, I mean, what are we offering? We're offering the bread of life. Yes. And the chalice of salvation. Yes. Um, these descriptors are so important too, life and salvation. Now, he, listen to the words of the germ about the offering. Listen to the words of the general instruction of the Roman Missal. I hate saying germ, but I keep saying it. Yeah, you do. But listen to these words about the offering. Um, the offering, by which, in this very memorial, which we just talked about the amnesis, the church, and in particular the church here and now gathered at that moment in the Mass, offers in the Holy Spirit the spotless victim to the Father. The church's intention, however, is that the faithful not only offer this spotless victim, but also learn to offer themselves. So day by day, to be consummated through Christ the mediator into unity with God and with one another so that at last God may be all in all. So we offer Christ but really, the, the goal here is to also offer ourselves. And remember, what were these elements, the bread and the, and the wine, what were these elements before they were transubstantiated? They were symbolic of us and our works. Yeah. That's an important point where you go from the, the offertory at Mass before the consecration, right, where the bread and wine um, are brought to the altar, that what, like you're saying, this represents us, our lives being offered. And now you have the an offering after the consecration, which is us united in our participation with the Paschal Mystery, united in the life of Christ, offering this uh, unblemished sacrifice to the Father. Now, I mean, that's astounding to me because um, that you can't do on your own. <laughs> like, this is truly uh, like one of the beautiful, like liturgical sensibilities that we need to really start fostering within our own hearts. It's like, I can't do that outside of the mass in this way. Like I can, I can offer myself to God, but not in the Eucharist in this way. The reason I bring that up is because 
you know, we, um, we're going through such a traumatic time when it comes to the pandemic in the world and the separation from our Lord and mass. And there've always been though justifications way before the pandemic of, well, I can pray anywhere. I don't need to go into a church, you know, to pray. It's like, no, but you can't do this specific type of offering outside of the liturgy. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Because this, this is not something we're doing or coming up with. It's something God's doing, and He has invited us to it. In fact, according to Eucharistic Prayer 3, He has summoned us. Yeah, and I think what's so crazy is we we see then when we try to pretend we can make this type of offering outside the liturgy, how banal things become. Because then we start coming up with our own, we wouldn't call them rituals, but they are little rituals, right? Of what then is just like personally meaningful to me. And then with when we don't understand what's actually being offered at mass, this offering of the unblemished lamb, Jesus Christ, that I then am one with through my baptism, and I get to then unite my own life to him. When I don't get that, now I want to change up the liturgy to make it more meaningful to me in my little banal ways oh. to come to bring my own rituals to mass. This happens all the time. And it's you know gone what that through, looked like in the Old Testament? You know what that looked like? A golden calf. It looked like a golden calf. And it they looked said, like- you, Here's the God who brought us out of Egypt. That's crazy. Okay, continue. Sorry. No, that's nuts. But this is where when people have- um like this internal struggle going on with, oh, I'm not getting anything out of mass. It's like, whoa, whoa, what do you think the mass is then? Like, seriously, right now in this moment of offering after the consecration of our hearts united to Christ in prayer, in a liturgical uh, context, what is that then? Because if you're not getting anything out of mass, it's not just, oh, I need to put myself in. No, no, you don't understand. This is why you exist, to be united to Jesus Christ. <laughs> No. Okay. You know what? I'm going to push so hard on this right now. I'm going to push so hard on this Uh-oh, and heaven help it. me. Heaven help me. But listen, <laughs> when I've heard people say, I don't, you know, if you're not getting anything out of mass, you know, you're not putting enough in, or how can you say that you're receiving the Eucharist? Listen, the Eucharist is still not about you getting anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you receiving our Lord into your body is not about you getting something. It's about you being changed so that you can offer yourself up you don't come to Mass to get a single thing. You come to Mass to give everything, mm-hmm. to give it all. It is a sacrifice. And and we're not just watching it. We've been invited and summoned to participate in it, to offer ourselves. And so if you say, I'm not getting fed, or I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of Mass, you need to watch Star Wars, basically. You need to watch <laughs> the whole thing. You need to start from the beginning and watch the whole thing because you have missed the point of what is happening in the Mass and what you're being called, summoned to do as a child of God who wants you to participate in his sacrifice. Yeah. The question at Mass is not, what am I getting out of it? The question at Mass is, um, am I giving everything to God? Like, is, what is God getting? Like, Or what it, am I, I mean, not giving? Yeah. Well, what am I holding back? Yeah. Maybe that, maybe you should ask that because some people say, oh, I'm giving so much. I'm giving so much of myself. And I'm like, yeah, but what are you not giving? No, that's the moment always of the rich something. young man, Curtis. There's that's always the something the we're holding back. I yep. hold things back and I need to moment, be called. Yeah, of the Pharisee, the right? Going before, you know, our Lord and saying, I fast so much. I do all this. It's like, yeah, but are you really giving it all? People long to be spoken to by God, right? It's like, oh, yeah. Jesus, please speak to me. I want to hear your voice. I think that if Jesus actually spoke to us individually with human words, we would not often like what we hear. It, it would be, it would be Jesus going, okay, I've decided to speak to you. I want you to give this thing up. 
and follow me. And we'd be like, but that's what, no, uh, 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 you know, there's like this mercy in that he just continues to walk with us slowly, condescending to us. And he's like, you're not ready for me to talk to you directly quite yet. Mm -hmm. It's like the people, again, we're going back to Sinai over and over again today, but it's like the people say, we want to hear God. We're, you know, we want him to talk to us. And so God comes in the flaming smoke and thunder and lightning and trumpets of the Mount Sinai. And as soon as he's done the Ten Commandments, they turn to Moses and say, we don't want God to speak to us again. You speak to us from now on. We don't want to hear from God directly. And it's the same thing. You know, we don't know what we're asking, but the mask requires everything. Yeah. God okay. is so gentle with us. <laughs> Thank Especially God. In the thank you, Lord. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, Lord. I mean, and that's the thing. So that's the thing. If you you blink, you're gonna miss it, right? Like it's the bread of life and the chalice of salvation. Without faith, though, we think that this is we we just might mistake the Eucharist for just bread and wine. But as we know, the bread and wine are no longer there. Now this is the bread of life, meaning it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. This is the chalice of salvation, which our Lord drank, you know, so that we could have hope, right? Right. And it's the like- blood of the woo. new and everlasting <laughs> yeah. covenant. Oh man, speaking of Moses and Sinai and the yeah. blood, Here's Curtis. the new and everlasting covenant. Okay. So, uh, uh, okay. So- oh, What? We, the consecration- I'm a little know, too fired up right now. The Holy Spirit has been called down. going to hurt. The elements have been transubstantiated, and then we, you know, we we de- declare that this is a memorial that is being made present. What what Christ did is now present with us because He is present with us, body, blood, soul, and divinity of mm-hmm. Christ. And then we take that 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 Paschal mystery that our Lord is with us, and we offer it to the Father. This eternal sacrifice. We're not offering Him again. We're joining into that eternal moment and offering Him, and that offering is being done for a purpose, which leads us to the next part of the Eucharistic prayer. And really what we've been leading up to, which is intercession. We are now going Woo! to pray. This offering we're being, we're bringing to, to God with our intercessions for the sake of something. And so let's read the next part. You tell me what sticks out to you. So you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. So humbly we pray that by partaking of the body and blood of Christ, which we are about to do, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. That's our first prayer, that we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Which is the remedy for the division caused by sin, Mm. right? Like from the beginning, healing of the wound. we were made to be one with God. We were to walk with him forever. We rejected him as our father through our disobedience and sin. Because of that, there became division within humanity. We've been scattered just like the Tower of Babel. And then the Holy Spirit is now what unites us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice then that is the remedy for sin and death. That is our only hope for the division that we've experienced. And therefore, now at Mass, we pray as one that now we might all be one. Well, think about this. Each little host is not like a piece of Jesus. No, That's the whole Jesus. Body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. You cannot break him into little pieces that everyone's eating. No, when you receive the Eucharist, you're receiving all of Christ. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. But now, if that's true, if you're receiving all of Christ, and then I am receiving all of Christ, and Father Andrew is receiving all of Christ, well, if we're being totally united to Christ in that moment, 
then by consequence, we are being totally united to each other. Yep, because we are one. Because if I'm united to Christ and you're united to Christ, guess what? We're together. And yep. so this is the engine, the thing that is that builds the church, that puts us together, that, that reconciles. This is, Jesus said, I'll be lifted up and bring all the world to myself. This is the fulfillment of everyone's desire ever for um, marriage, for family, for community, for a team, for a guild, for an organization, for association, for a political party. Every sense we've ever had, no matter how strong or loose, for gathering together with others in unity is fulfilled in Christ in the Mass. And the only reason we have to keep coming back is because we are so stupid. We are you know, so that, like, stupid. Uh, you Galatians? It, yeah, it takes us 20 minutes, and we already are rending and tearing at that body again in the parking yeah, lot of that's the Mass. Right. <laughs> it's and the parking lot. The, the division happens immediately. Now, I'm not saying this about the whole church. I'm saying yeah. this about the church on earth. Yeah. The church triumphant, they have no trouble being unified and yeah. we're being joined to them in the mass. There's no but arguments we are, in the parking lot. We are weak and we, we need help. And thank God for the sacrament of what? The sacrament of what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. You know, that yeah. brings us back. That's to actually a beautiful point in a different, um, uh, th some different prayers in the liturgy, that term conciliation comes up that we're offering the conciliation of God. I mean, it's like, whoa, whoa. So, the very first one. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to reconciliate. It's, no, uh, re it's just conciliation. Conciliation. Okay. So now we lead into the intercessions. That's the first big prayer. But then we say, remember, Lord, your church, spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity together with Francis, our Pope, and Joseph, our Bishop in our case, and all the clergy. So we have this prayer, this intercession for, I was just talking about, the church on earth. And here we have a prayer for the church on earth. What's standing out to you here? Um, multiple things. Um, it's, it's your church, which is the body of our Lord. It's the body of Christ. So this is, this is the actual visible um, witness to, you know, our, our Lord's unity on earth is supposed to be his church. Like all were made for, uh, to be part of his body. So remember Lord, your church spread throughout the world. So then there's this sense of where an we've answered and we are still answering the command of our Lord before the ascension and the gospel of Matthew to make disciples of all nations. So that, that in this sense is the Catholic aspect of, um, you know, the church is that it is universal. There is no, uh, you know, one church for one part of the world, another church for another part of the world. In that sense, it's it's truly universal. And then also, of course, um, the acknowledgement of the apostles. So this is wild, right? That the liturgy uh, that we have today, you know, is not one that we each just get to go make up or it's not the liturgy. It's not just our own banal rituals that we put together and we kind of like, so we're going to do them together. No, it actually has been handed down to us from the apostles. And so, um, you know, when we pray for the Holy Father, when we pray for the individual bishop in a, a location, in a local church, uh, a diocese, we are acknowledging the apostolic succession, like all of these here. I mean, really, the church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, and all those marks of the church are being acknowledged in this petition. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, your church spread throughout the world. You're still, we're still one. You know, bring her to the fullness of charity. There's that holy. 
Yep. You know, and that's Catholic. And then the apostolic, oh, it's beautiful. And do you know what the word church means? What does the church claim? Oh, oh, come on. I'm not, this is not a, a curveball. No. This is, you know what church means. What do you think church means? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the word church. Yeah, it comes from ecclesia, but it means the, to be called out. Yeah, the ones be who've been out. called yeah. out. The Hebrew word for this is kahal. Kahal. It sounds like call. That's why it's easy to remember. And the very first time the word kahal appears in the scripture is again at the base of Mount Sinai. Oh, wow. Right after Israel has been kahaled out of Egypt. And that's the first time, and you look at like a Dewey Reams uh, translation of scripture from the Vulgate, um, it actually says the church of Israel gathered around Mount Sinai. They've been called out. And this is really fascinating because we're talking about throughout the world and the call to evangelization. We are being called out of Egypt, called out of the spiritual slavery of, of false worship into the body of Christ into like around gathered around Mount Sinai in a sense now, where we receive a law, something that new I, law uh, in one of my classes in seminary, which I thought was interesting, and I, but I can't remember exactly like the Hebrew people um, in Egypt, like who would have actually ended up then at Mount Sinai. Um, that that was more than than just like the direct descendants of like Isaac, right? Like there would have been other Egyptians potentially with them. Like that's it's an interesting question because in that sense of like what you're talking about of being called out and and having to be made one um, after being called out of Egypt. Like was there an aspect too of like actually there are people here that weren't part of the original covenants? Well, uh, actually, I mean not. it's a little bit tricky because. Yeah, sure. I mean, they'd been in Egypt for hundreds of years at that yeah. point, and it, it spread. But if you were circumcised, mm -hmm. you became an ethnic yeah. Israelite. So it was no like you're you're, you're not like um, somehow an outsider. Circumcision sure. is like a new birth. It's like the it's the proto baptism. Yeah. So um, I mean, everyone who left Egypt at that point seems to have been circumcised, ethnic sons of Israel, and actually the word. Oh, this is this is the weeds now. But actually, the word it. Hebrew Hebrew means like son of Eber, and that was much bigger. Um, you know, yeah, Abraham that's what I'm thinking of. Yes, Hebrew. that's Abraham, what I'm thinking of. Okay, and and really, you never see the word Hebrew used internally within the people of Israel. They don't call themselves Hebrew. They only refer to themselves as Hebrew when they're talking to outsiders because mm. it's sort of like a larger ethnic group, and outsiders that's refer that's to like, them as Hebrew. That's like today the term Hispanic. Like if you're sure. if you're from Mexico, yeah. you don't say yeah I'm Hispanic. You would say no I'm Mexican, you know, or, or European, European, or yeah. I mean North American, yeah. or whatever. So yeah, more specifically, um, what the people are always referred to in the scripture are the sons of Israel. Mm. They're not even called Israelites. That's that's also kind of a, a rare term in the scripture. It's always sons of Israel because Israel was a person. Mm -hmm. That was Jacob who is renamed Israel, one who wrestles with God. And here are the sons of the, the, the one who wrestled with God. And um, anyway, it gets a little complicated. But yeah, because we'll, we'll say Jew. Woo! And yeah. Jew is a subsection of even the sons of Israel. That's, yeah. that's of the tribe of Judah. Judah, yeah. And, you know, so you got Hebrew, the big circle. Sons of Israel is a smaller circle within that big circle. And then you got Jew, which is a smaller circle within the, the sons of Israel. So anyway, okay. Woo! Out of the weeds, back to the Eucharistic prayer. And that Maybe was all I'll because I didn't that. remember what church meant. <laughs> all that out.
Okay, so we're it talking about out. the church on earth. So you may not be surprised at the next intercession, which is the church suffering or the church, people who have now died. Yeah. So it says, remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection. That's not people who fell asleep during the homily who are still sleeping at this moment in the mass. We're talking about death. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them in the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray. And I'm going to stop there. Um, so what do you think about this whole people who have died business? We're praying for the dead here. I think it's really important. I think it's beautiful <laughs> recognition of um, of what the church is. Like you said, you know, we prayed first for the church militant, the church on earth, but then there's also the church suffering, the church in purgatory, that that's still part of the church, but that cannot merit anything for their own. Like the, the, in one sense, the church suffering in purgatory are our least of our brothers and sisters. Hmm. And in one sense, because they can't pray for themselves. They can't merit anymore. On earth, we can pray for them, we can merit for them, we can uh, sacrifice for their good, but when you're there, you can't. And so the sacrifice of the Mass is our um, praying for them at this moment and as an intercession is a beautiful way to lift them up. And uh, and it's a beautiful practice, too, to have Masses offered because the priest has an intention at every Mass that he offers, and so many of the intentions that we offer are for specific deceased um, souls. And uh, that's a beautiful th practice to get into, is to have masses offered. Now, um, what you uh, didn't cover, because it's only said usually at funerals, is a specific petition for a particular soul. So we would say, like at a funeral, remember your servant, and then insert their name, whom you have called from this world to yourself, grant that he or she who is united with your son in a death like his may also be one with him in his resurrection. And so thanks be to God for the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ that um, we can go through this purification uh, now here on earth of detachment from our sin, um, or we can go through it after death. Um, but as long as we don't die in a state of mortal sin, in a state of eternal death, separation from God because of uh, sin that's serious that we have full knowledge of and we have full consent in, then we have hope that uh, that we can still make it to heaven. Right. I mean, if you die in mortal sin, you're not dying with hope you're going to make it no. to heaven because you've rejected God. Yeah, you've lost hope now. So, I mean, if you have any hope of in the mercy of God, you know, I mean, that's grace at work. Yeah, anyway, Okay, amazing. so let's, let's get... Woo! So... We've we've offered prayer for the whole church, yep. and now what does that mean? To pray for the whole church? Okay, we're talking about the church on earth, yep. the church militant. We're talking about the church suffering. Can you guess what the next thing is going to be? It says, <laughs> "Have mercy on us all." We pray that with the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you. Yeah. Priest joins his hands through your son, Jesus Christ. So we move from the church. What are you doing over there? Sorry, I'm messing with something. Oh my goodness, so loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we move from the church, the church militant, to so the church suffering, to now the church. 
<laughs> to the church where? <laughs> the church triumphant. In heaven. The church in glory. Starting with the the the, the highest of all the saints. Yeah, the queen of our heaven. blessed our blessed mother, Virgin Mary, mother of God. Um, I mean, there's about a billion things that we could talk about in this this part, but we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. So just choose one. <laughs> the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, right? Like that's a that's a thing we have to remember that the call to holiness is a universal call. It's for everyone and it's for all time. There will never be a time as long as there's time that um, we are not called to be holy, but the pleasing is for God, not for us. The answering of the call to be a saint sometimes is not pleasing for us. It, it is the narrow way and it is the embracing of the cross in many ways. Now there's so much joy and consolation from the mercy of God and his grace that it is totally worth it and awesome. However, the pleasing is not for us. It is for him. That's why we are, are, are called to be holy. It's not just for our own sake. It's for him. But of course, because God loves us, he wants the best for us. What pleases him is our best, which is the good for us, which is holiness. So it's pretty awesome. That stands out. You know, when I hear the word pleasing, um, that often appears when we talk about pleasing God in the context of sacrifice. Yeah. Like the the aroma of sacrifice, mm. the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Yeah. Like you hear that a lot. And so I really do think that we're talking about the saints who have pleased you because they were living sacrifices. Mm-hmm. They offered everything to you in their life. That's yep. what made them... That's offer- what was the cause of their holiness. Well, and just think about this. At this moment now where we're uniting ourselves to the offering of Christ, we are not uniting ourselves to a goat or a bull that has been sacrificed anymore, right? Like it is not the burnt offerings, the flesh of animals that our Lord desires, but a contrite heart, right? So we are right. the pleasing to God when our lives, our own hearts are a sacrifice to him. You're right. Yeah, I love it. You know, I was reflecting on Psalm 51 the other day. As part of the Liturgy of the Hours morning prayer. Mm-hmm. and Was it a Friday? Uh, of course. Every Friday we pray this beautiful prayer. And, you know, it was like a sacrifice. You know, you don't want these sacrifices. You want a broken and contrite heart. But then it goes on and, said, and says, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Mm. And then the sacrifices will be pleasing to you again. There's this analogy of my heart is the, the temple of the Holy Spirit where, <sighs> where God dwells. And... I need the walls built around that heart so that the sacrifices can be made. And you know what the walls are. It's a, it's the humble, contrite heart. That is what the walls that will protect me from sin are. If I can walk in humility and contrition at all times, that will um, prevent me from those mortal sins and even venial sins if I true, have true humility and contrition. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I, uh, that's holiness. That's the mark of holiness, humility Ooh. and contrition. Okay. So good. So just real quick. It comes. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I just wanted to talk about co-heirs for a second. Oh, yeah, man. That's good. Co-heirs. The co-heirs. So C-O-H-E-I-R-S. Co-heirs. Not so, co-heirs. Co-heirs. No, co-heirs. Um, that, you know, Jesus Christ uh, is the only begotten son. He is the heir, right? And then he loves us so much, not just to give us um, like a little portion, just a little bit of his inheritance. Um, He lets us be co-heirs. He lets us have it all with him, the love of the Father for eternity. This is nuts. Like we've rejected God in our sins. We have rejected him after he's made every covenant with us. And yet he still 
then draws us closer than we could have ever hoped. Not by just, you know, giving us a little bit of life, but giving us his own life, his, uh, Jesus's own relationship with the Father. We are truly co-heirs with him. It's nuts. Yeah, and how, I mean, look at the context of the prayer. How have we been made co-heirs? By partaking in this sacrifice, yeah. by joining ourselves to him. If we're joining ourselves, if we're in union with the heir, what does that make us? Co-heirs. If we are in union with the Son, what does that make us? Sons and daughters in the Son. Mm -hmm. If we're in union with Christ, what does that make us? We become part of that victim, of that sacrifice, that spotless victim that's being offered to the Father. We become part of it because we're united to Christ. So our being united to Christ is the key to everything that we do. Okay, and speaking of which, we get to the doxology now. So the the final... Um, um, shout of praise, the, the proclamation. So, I mean, we, this is the eighth part. So, to recap what we've done today, we have the amnesis, we have the offering, the intercessions, and now we have this doxology. Yes. And this is usually chanted yes. by the celebrant who says, through him. And we're talking about Christ. Because mm -hmm. you said, through your son, Jesus Christ. And then he, he reiterates it. Through him and with him. And in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And then the great Amen, which is not great because it's set to some tune, or not great because we sing it, it's great because of the prayer that preceded it. Yeah. This is the, one of the greatest Amens you'll ever say because of this incredible Eucharistic prayer. So, amen. Through him, with him, and in him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. And this doxology is the same, even if it's one, two, three, or four. Yes, it is. It's the same. Always the same. And uh, it's always the same gesture, too, of raising the chalice and the paten. Oh, I forgot about the gesture. Yeah. yeah. The gesture, so Curtis. So you raise it up. Yeah. You raise up our Lord in this moment. All eyes are are gazing upon him. Yeah, just like the bronze serpent was raised up, just like our Lord was raised up on the cross, just like Melchizedek raised up bread uh, and uh, the grapes and the bread. I mean, woo! But the, the, these words are interesting. Through, with, in. Yeah. Through him, with him, and in him. Yeah. So we, we have been saved through him. We have been saved because we are united with him. And we are, uh, and we are saved, saved because in we are in him. him now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like through what our Lord has done, right? Like we've been talking about anamnesis and the memory and being made present of what through him, with him, because we are co-heirs. Like we are actually in this with him, uniting our own lives to him. And in him, he is the life that we have now. We remain in him now. It's not just a thing in the past. Wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Oh, hold no. On. Hold oh, on. Hold no. on. Hold on. Oh, no. Through him, through what he has done, as we experience in the liturgy of the word. Mm. With him, in the amnesis, as we've entered into the eternal moment now of the Paschal mystery. And in him, because we're about to be united with him in the sacrament of the Eucharist. In this doxology, we have a summary of the whole liturgy. What? Through him, with him, and in him. That is the Mass. Boom. And that is the episode of Mysticat. <laughs> We're going to end end it right there. Oh, man. The great, the great amen to this episode. Oh. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the 
the communion rite and the concluding rites, and we'll be we'll be complete. We'll I have gotten exhausted. through the whole mess. You wore me out, Curtis. That was some mystagogical catechesis uh, gauntlet right there. That was amazing. That was great. Okay, so uh, thanks for listening. Um, share us, like us, please like us. We need to be liked and affirmed. Just the episodes of Mysticat. Otherwise, yeah, don't like us. Yeah, just like, like the episodes. No, but God is so good. So this has been Mysticat. I'm uh, Father Andrew Strobel. I'm Curtis Getty. And we will see you later. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's amen, not amen. <laughs>